Hello, I am Bob Bostock. You are listening to Discover DEP, the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection's official podcast. Each week, we will provide you with timely information about how DEP protects and preserves New Jersey's air, water, land, and natural and historic resources. Please feel free to add this podcast to your iTunes or RSS feed. You can also follow DEP on the web at nj.gov DEP. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to another edition of Discover DEP. You can download Discover DEP and subscribe to future editions through iTunes and Google Play. Today we are joined by Tony McBride, Supervising Biologist for DEP's Division of Fish and Wildlife, and Rob Geist from DEP's Division of Natural and Historic Resources. Tony and Rob are here to talk about turkeys and cranberries. With Thanksgiving just around the corner, millions of people across America are looking for the perfect plump turkey to cook for their family and friends, and the essential side of cranberry sauce to complement the bird. Turkeys and cranberries have become staples of Thanksgiving dinner, but in reality, they are much more important than that. Today, we're here to take a look behind the scenes of the role that each of these play here in the state of New Jersey. So today, we're going to talk turkey and cranberries with Tony and Rob. Tony, Ben Franklin described the turkey as a true original native of America and said that although the turkey is a little vain and silly, he is also a bird of courage and would not hesitate to attack a grenadier of the British guards who should presume to invade his farmyard with a red coat on. Is that a pretty good description of a turkey? They are wary birds and they're not afraid to defend their ground. So they are brave. Yes. Yes, indeed. Tony, tell us about wild turkeys here in New Jersey. Turkeys are native to New Jersey. We have the eastern subspecies. So across the country, there are several subspecies of turkeys. Most of the differences are in plumage. So in the eastern United States, we have the eastern subspecies, or a forest-dwelling bird. And our turkeys were extirpated from the state in the late 1800s and early 1900s when most of our forests were cleared for agriculture. Turkeys need forest habitat to survive. So it wasn't so much that they were hunted out of existence in New Jersey, but just the loss of habitat pretty much drove them out of the state. There were other factors as well, but loss of habitat was a big one. So what's the difference between domesticated turkeys that uh, is what we tend to put on the table at Thanksgiving and the turkeys in the wild that we have here in New Jersey? Domesticated turkeys are the same species as our native wild turkeys, but through years of successive breeding, they were bred to be larger birds with more breast meat. And those birds that we see raised for the domestic turkey industry are white in color, and they also can't fly. Our native wild turkeys are very good flyers, and they're slimmer and more streamlined. Describe the native turkey that we see in the forests of New Jersey. If you're out hiking in the woods, what should you be looking for? Turkeys are the largest game bird in North America. They tend to be brown or, or blackish in color. One thing to look for with wild turkeys is that the tips of their tail feathers here in the east are a light tan, unlike many of the domestic breeds, which can have white tips to the tail. And the wild turkeys I have seen, they tend to not be as large as what you see on those farms where they're raised domestically. A sleeker bird. 
That's right. The hens, the female birds in New Jersey, tend to average about 10 or 11 pounds at adulthood. The males can get over 20 pounds. The average is 18 to 20, but they can get into the 30-pound range on occasion. And are they aggressive? Generally not. Generally, they like to stay clear of people. But in areas that are thickly settled, they can lose their fear of people, just like squirrels and deer in suburbia. And in some circumstances, they will, like I said before, they'll stand their ground and not be afraid of people and get in the way. You mentioned earlier, Tony, that in the late 19th and early 20th century, turkeys disappeared from New Jersey, but now we have them back. How did that happen? In the 1950s and 1960s, there were several attempts made to reintroduce or restore wild turkeys to the landscape using domestic birds. These were wild birds, eggs from wild stock, that were reared in captivity, these young, and then released into New Jersey in hopes of reestablishing the population. Those attempts failed because the birds didn't have their instincts that they needed to survive. In the 1970s, biologists realized that if they took wild birds from wild populations, wild populations of turkeys occurred in Pennsylvania and in New York and northern New England, if those birds were captured and moved to new areas, they did really well. So in the late 1970s in New Jersey, 1977, our first birds came into the state, 23 birds from New York and Vermont. They were released in Sussex County uh, along the Kittatinny Ridge in appropriate habitat, and they did really well. How many turkeys do we have now in New Jersey, starting with those 23? Between 20 and 25,000 birds today. Wow. And are they located across the state, or are they found in one specific geographic area? They are located statewide, but the best turkey habitat we have, and, and most of the turkeys, are in the northern part of the state, in the counties of Sussex, Warren, and Morris, and also in the southeast, southwestern part of the state, in Gloucester, Salem, and Cumberland counties. They're really quite a magnificent bird when you see them out in the wild. Uh, I've seen them a few times and always seem to come across them unexpectedly, so it's always a surprise to see them, but they're quite a handsome bird. They are very attractive, and the males, especially in the spring when they come into breeding season, have red, white, and blue coloration in their heads. And they overwinter here in New Jersey, right? They don't go south. They do. They're non-migratory birds. They're resident flocks we have here. How, how large would a flock be? Do they tend to congregate in large flocks, or are they more kind of individualists? During certain times of the year, turkeys do congregate. In the spring, the hens lay a clutch of about 11 eggs, and the eggs hatch in 28 days, and she'll spend two or three months with them, her and her 11 birds, combing the countryside, going through fields, eating grasshoppers and other insects so those poults can grow. During the fall, several broods of turkeys will come together and form a flock, and they'll persist that way through the winter months. So our largest flocks in New Jersey occur during the winter time. And why do they come together in the winter? Is that because it's harder to find food and they can help each other more? That is exactly the reason. More birds mean that they can expend less resources to find the food that they need when there's snow on the ground or when food is lean. So they cooperate during the winter when times are tough. Yes. That's a, that's a good model for the rest of us, isn't it, during all seasons. If someone wanted to have a wild turkey on their Thanksgiving table, do we allow hunting of turkeys here in New Jersey? We do. We have two hunting seasons for turkeys in New Jersey. The most 
widely used season is in the spring. We have a season timed for when turkeys are breeding, and hunters imitate the sounds of a hen to lure the gobbler or the male close to them as they're hunting. That season occurs from the end of April until the end of May, and about 10 to 11,000 hunters hunt during that season. We also have a season in the fall, which is usually around the last week of October. That season is called our fall turkey season. And is there a limit on how many turkeys a hunter can take? There is. We allow one turkey per hunting permit. And have you uh, ever tried one of our wild turkeys in terms of taste? What do, what do they taste like? I so have tried them. They're very good. They taste very much like domestic turkeys, but they are prone to being overcooked. So you have to be careful not to overcook a wild turkey. The, the breast meat is very lean. So uh, if you overcook it, it's going to dry out. Yes. I think we've probably all had some dried out domestic turkey in our day as well, which is uh, the main purpose, I think, of gravy. As you were talking and telling me about these really magnificent birds, I came to my mind that many years ago I had a boss that if you messed something up, he'd call you a turkey as an insult. But uh, learning about these birds and how they cooperate and, and uh, hunt and everything else, that was really a compliment, wasn't it? These are, uh, these are some great birds, and it's great that we have them back in New Jersey. Tony, tell us a little bit about your role here at DEP. How did you get interested in turkeys and become the expert that you are? I started working for the department in 1994, and at that time, I worked with Bob Erickson, who was instrumental in the late 70s in bringing turkeys back into New Jersey. So I guess you could say he took me under his wing and taught me everything I needed to know. And turkeys have been very fun to work with. In addition, for the department, I head the wildlife services section. So we're helping people with damage situations they have from large mammals, such as deer and coyotes and black bears, and also helping people with any complaints about turkeys. The reappearance of turkeys in this state, as well as the abundant populations we're seeing of animals that uh, 50 years ago barely existed, is quite a tribute, I think, to the work that you and all your colleagues here at DEP have done to find the proper balance in our environment so that people can live as they do. We're the most densely populated state in the Union, but we still have an abundance of wildlife, and that is, I think, a real tribute to the work that you and your colleagues have done uh, to make that possible. It's, it's really quite something. So Tony, I uh, thank you and applaud you and your colleagues for the work that you're doing. Let's turn to cranberries because there's no such thing as a Thanksgiving dinner without cranberries. I can remember back in the days sometimes cranberries consisted right out of the can, you know, it would be kind of the cylinder with the little ridges in it, but there are uh, other ways of serving cranberries, but New Jersey is a big cranberry state and Rob is here to tell us a little bit about that. Rob, tell us about the cranberry industry here in New Jersey. Well, thanks, Bob. I appreciate being here. Like the uh, wild turkey, the uh, cranberry is also native to New Jersey. It's only uh, one of three major fruits that's native to North America. The others are the blueberries, which we well know down in Hamilton, Atlantic County. It's a big thing down there. And the Concord grape. The cranberry played a very large role uh, even before people landed uh, at Plymouth Rock. The Indians used cranberries in their lives. They used cranberries, fat, and ground venison to make a survival cake known as pemmican, which a lot of people know about. They also used the fruit in poultices and also the dye fabric that they uh, used. The legend has it that the pilgrims were served cranberries at the first Thanksgiving uh, meal. That's a little bit more where rumor and uh, legend comes in with the cranberries, but it shows the 
the wonderful role that this fruit has played throughout American history. And New Jersey is one of the largest producers of cranberries in the country. Absolutely. We're number three in the country with a little under 600,000 barrels produced per year. A barrel is the traditional measuring stick of cranberries. It's about 100 pounds of cranberries per barrel. So 600,000 times 100 is 60 million pounds of cranberries Absolutely. produced in New Jersey every year. Absolutely. That's a lot of cranberries. It is a, it is a fabulous industry, obviously. It, it's spread out through the Pinelands, uh, through Atlantic, Burlington, and Ocean counties. And surprisingly enough, about 95% of the berries that are harvested in New Jersey are actually sent to the Ocean Spray Collective that's located in Chatsworth and then distributed around the country. And you were talking about the, the can of cranberries. Cranberry aficionados and growers refer to that as the log. The log. Well, my mother-in-law has a fantastic recipe for a cranberry mold that uh, now we make every, every year for Thanksgiving. And we'll put that recipe up on the description of the podcast as well because it's a great way to eat cranberries. And it's a recipe that has been passed down in my family for uh, generations. So I'd, we'll I'd love to see up. that because my maternal grandmother used to do a lot of the same thing. So it's very fond memories from Thanksgivings and Christmases. Absolutely. Now, cranberries, uh, they grow kind of in an unusual uh, sort of environment. What, what is a cranberry bog and why do they grow in these kind of watery places? Well, it's interesting because actually cranberries grow in a dry area. The use of the bog was a relatively recent development building on a finding of a New Jerseyan by the name of John Pegleg Webb, who had actually been injured in an accident. While he was carrying cranberries, he had spilled some down a flight of stairs. He noted that the best berries bounced and went to the bottom of the stairs. The rotten or less uh, ripe berries stayed on the stairs. There's a small air pocket within ripe cranberries that allows them to bounce. Once they discovered this, they actually developed what they called bounce machines, where cranberries would be dumped en masse into the machines. The good ones would bounce off the wooden slats the bad ones would stay on the wooden slats and slide into a waste area. Then, after that's done, it's put onto a conveyor or some other sorting table so that workers can look at it and make one last check to make sure that they have just the best berries getting out to the public. Cranberry bogs were an innovation where people found that that same air pocket that Pegleg found would allow the good berries to rise to the top of the water and allow for easy collection. They grow on a vine. They're small flowers. They pollinate in the spring. They grow through the summer. And harvesting is done between mid-September and mid-November. So it's the perfect Thanksgiving fruit. It's ready there on the table and it's fresh. So in a sense, in the bogs, when the cranberries rise to the top, you're getting the cream of the crop. Absolutely. Yes. So that's at least our second terrible pun for this broadcast, but that's okay. I'm sure there'll be more. I'm sure there will be. We have in one of our state parks, Double Trouble State Park, a whole cranberry operation that people can visit and see how cranberries are grown and harvested, don't we, Rob? Ab absolutely. Double Trouble was actually a location for a cooperative between a number of different families. It initially started out as a lumber area. They were to be harvesting the Atlantic white cedar that grew 
without, throughout the Pine Barrens in great numbers. However, the problem is an Atlantic white cedar being able to grow to full maturity and being able to be harvested takes about 150 years. As you start to cut down more and more trees, you start to lose a little bit more of that. So they looked around and they tried to figure out what can we do in order to help continue to monetize this operation to keep it alive. Cranberries were a natural answer to that. Being in the Pine Barrens, and they were called the Pine Barrens because you couldn't grow a lot of traditional crops there. But one of the things that was fabulous about the Pine Barrens was the soil's acidity was perfect for the growing of wild cranberries. And so they really took that on and they brought folks in there as an additional money-making enterprise to help keep the timber open. And as things grew, cranberries actually took over timber as they went through the late 19th and early 20th century. So if somebody goes to Double Trouble State Park, what will they see in terms of cranberries? They can see some of the bogs which are still available and in operation. Uh, they were leased out just for a few years ago until the uh, last lease growers left because they were retiring. We are in actually the process today where will be the winter flooding of the bogs in order to keep the vines healthy over the winter. Visitors of Double Trouble can actually see a cranberry packing house that dates to the early 20th century where workers came in and sorted good cranberries and bad cranberries for packing and delivery. And our regional interpreter specialist will show them the tools of the trade and how cranberries became such a big part of New Jersey's agricultural heritage. So when we talk about farm to table, certainly cranberries here in New Jersey is one of those products that uh, we, we see and, and does directly come from the farm right to our tables. Absolutely. It's one of the great things, whether you have it in a can, whether you have it in the molds, as you discussed, you can even get them fresh where they are pulled off the vines out of the bogs, which is the best way to do it. And one of the things that's great about cranberries is they freeze very well. And they make a very refreshing beverage as well. Indeed. So a lot of uses for cranberries. It, it, it's called one of the superfruits. It's a great antioxidant. It was uh, used, as I said, by the Native Americans. It has a long role in American history. Uh, you talk about uh, cranberries went to war during the Civil War in 1864 for Thanksgiving dinner. Ulysses S. Grant ordered that all of the Union troops would have cranberries on their table to celebrate that meal. And then during World War II, American troops required about one million pounds of dehydrated cranberries a year as they fought around the globe. So cranberries helped win the wars. Absolutely. That's another important uh, role that New Jersey has played in the history of this country. We were the crossroads of the revolution and we exported our cranberries to our troops, uh, both here at home and around the world to help spread the cause of peace and freedom. Indeed, a rich heritage indeed. So with Thanksgiving right around the corner, I want to thank Tony McBride and Rob Geist for being here to talk turkey and cranberries. I think we have learned, as Franklin said, that the turkey is indeed a bird of courage, a noble bird that we are glad to have back in New Jersey. And we have also learned uh, the fascinating role that cranberries have played in the agricultural history of New Jersey, as well as in our current agricultural economy. So gentlemen, thank you both for being here today and happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Thanks for listening to Discover DEP. If you have comments on the podcast or ideas for future podcast topics, please email us at podcast at dep.nj.gov. Enjoy the rest of your day.